All right, everyone. We are back with the Blackmail Archives. I am your host, Rodney Freeman, and I have a special guest, uh, Robert Murphy, whose book is called Ends Ain't Astronaut. Actually, go ahead and say it. Uh, you know, <laughs> the book's title, I don't have it actually on the title. It's interesting because uh, my editor was like, well, you should just put the, the word niggas on the title. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to do that. Um, but, but so, so the actual, on the front of the book, I actually pull out the book Yeah. on the front of the book, as you can see, oh shit, maybe you can't see, oh, there you go. <laughs> there um, you go. It, it's, it's crossed out. It doesn't say the actual word, yeah. but the funny part of the story, like people see it and they're like, oh my God, you used the word. And I'm like, well, this is, a, this is a reference point for me. It's, it's one of those moments with, you know, you just like, wow, like I never thought I'd hear this. And I've since I've never my, my mother said it one time and I've never heard it again. Really? The story about the title of the book is uh, when I was six years old, I said to my mother, I wanted to be an astronaut. And yeah. she looked at me just as plainly and said, Bobby, niggas ain't astronauts. And she just walked away. <laughs> and, you know, and, and to me, it's it's an aptly titled book, given, you know, a lot of the things that we went through as a family. Yeah. Um, a lot of things I went through as a as a young man and as a young African-American man or black man in America. Yeah. Um, it just tells a story. So, yeah, that's that's the title of the book. Yes. Hey, hey. Well, hey, you know, it's definitely a catchy title. And then I read the review about it and everything. So we're going to get into a couple questions about okay. it. But, okay. but, uh, but tell us about where you're from and, and your background. I'm from Detroit. That's my hometown. I always represent Detroit. I got my Michigan stuff on because we got we got Michigan State tomorrow. So mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a rivalry going on. <laughs> I still take a lot of pride in my city and I take a lot of pride in my state as a professional. Um, you know, I talk about it in the book a little bit like I actually got back. Well, in the book, I talk about like I was kind of a revolutionary, if you will. Um, and so when I went to apply for colleges for my community college, I got all the, these denial letters. Mm. And, you know, a, a friend of mine who actually was the president of the organization that I became president of called me and said, there's no need to apply to these schools because you're not going to get accepted even if you do apply. Mm. And whether it was prophetic or it was it was real, um, I didn't get accepted to any of those schools. So I ended up leaving Michigan, which probably which absolutely was the best thing for me. Yeah. Um, and and coming to Maryland and enrolling in Morgan State. And from that point on, um, I love an HBCU experience. Um, I talk about my experience at, a, at, at my HBCU, Morgan. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm an educator by profession. So I've been in education yeah. for 25 years. Yeah. And, you, you know, and I was actually before we get into your, your education background, can you can you talk a little bit about your HBCU experience? Because we had it was funny. Um, I, <laughs> I have, I have my, I have my fiance and I have my 16 year old, uh, my 16 year old uh, sister. Mm -hmm. Um, and she has these misconceptions of HBCUs. And of course my fiance went to the HBCU. And so she basically kind of just like took a stance to say, okay, this is what HBCUs are about. How, where do you think that misconception of HBCUs come from that they're less than you know because i actually attended one for 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 a year but you know i i've heard that you know not from just my 16 year old sister yeah, yeah. but from other people like they're, yeah. they're they're less than and that's not the yeah. that's not the case at, yeah. at all yeah i i remember when i was talking about going to morgan um 
you know, I, I heard from several people, you know, well, you know, the world ain't black. So, you know, why are you going to HBCU? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's, it will they really prepare you for, you know, the world and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. And mm-hmm. I would say, I would say to anybody, I don't know how they, well, let me, let me back up. My daughter graduated from Spelman in 2013. Mm-hmm. I had no problems with Spelman whatsoever. No, no problems academically, no problems with financial, no problems with anything. Mm-hmm. My experience at Morgan was a tad bit different. Mm. My education was stellar and top flight. Um, some of the business stuff was really jacked up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I from a from a business perspective, mm-hmm. going back his, historically, I could see where there might be some concerns because I had many friends who had very similar issues as I had. Yeah. You know, people losing your check or, you know, or you know, you got a loan check and it's there, but it ain't there, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I, my my hope and my assumption is that those processes and situations have been cleaned up. Mm-hmm. But from an overall perspective of as a black man, it it was it was absolutely the best place for me. Yeah. It was the best place. I still reminisce about my times on Morgan's, you know, on Morgan's campus because it was one of the best times of my life. Yeah. You, you had black people. One of the things I think that happens with us, and I talk about it in the book, is we get into this box of what black people are. Mm-hmm. Especially if you come from certain environments, you know, you're like, oh, well, black people only do this, black people only do that. Uh, you know, one of the beautiful things Morgan did for me was was expose me to the diverse realities of what what being black is. Mm-hmm. There's Caribbean blacks, there's African blacks, there's yeah. people like me who are blend, or my my father's people, or I'm second generation American, while my mother's mm-hmm. people are from the United States and from Canada. So, okay, I mean, for me, my HBCU from a it, it was a place of love. And everything that was done to me and for me was was about love and preparation for this. The next step. I remember I talk about in the book, but I turned in a paper to one of my professors and man, it looked like he spilled SpaghettiOs on it. Like it was just it was just (laughs) red O's everywhere. (laughs) And and I'll never forget. And, you know, I'm I'm six foot three. I'm six foot three. Uh My my professor was probably five two, Dr. Charles Johnson. And I mentioned him in the book. Dr. Johnson said to me, he said uh, he said, Murphy. He said, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your your aunts and uncles, and I expect better than this on this paper. He gave me the paper back and he was like, I need that paper back by Monday or whenever it was. So mm. he gave me the opportunity to, to fix the paper. Yeah. But he was like, no, my expectations for you are so much higher than, than yeah. what you gave me. So yeah. I say all that to say, like, you know, I mean, it, it is a fantastic. It was a f- fantastic experience for me. I didn't join a frat or anything because I, I just don't I don't rock with that. But yeah, I, I, I love my Morgan experience much more than I love my master's experience, which was at a, a PWI. And oh. let, me, let me also back up too. From a data perspective, there have been a number of uh, research studies done on on HBCU graduates and that we're more successful, we're happier, we're more uh, uh, adjusted, we got more successful families, the whole nine. So it's the data is behind it as well as the, the the stories, both the data, the quantitative and the qualitative yeah. that are behind HBCUs. Yeah. And, and, I, and I suspect that, you know, I want to go into your education experience or were you working in the education field? Mm-hmm. Uh, where'd you start off at? And then, you know, when, um, how was your, your, your education experience? Um, you mean K to 12, my personal experience or my yeah. work experience? Okay. My K to 12 experience, man, it was, it was different. Um, yeah. so growing up in Detroit, like, man, I, I, I thought the national anthem was lift every voice and sing. Cause that was yeah. what we sung at, at, at my, my elementary school. 
Mm-hmm. It was only until I left Detroit and I moved to Grand Rapids where I learned the actual, you know, Pledge of Allegiance or whatever the uh, national anthem was actually, lived, you know, the Star Spangled Banner. I yeah. remember singing it just as proudly in class, like, lift every boys. And they're like, that ain't the national anthem. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> so so my, my, my education in, in Black Detroit was so much different than my education in, in white Grand Rapids. And okay. in Black Detroit, it honestly... I, I was I was very I was so far ahead of my peers that it was actually quite boring to me. I could stay out of school and I talk about it, but I used to feign my asthma attacks so I could stay home and watch cartoons and read, read comic books. Yeah. And so for me, academically, I was bored in Detroit. But when I got to Grand Rapids, there were some other things that happened. Mm. The 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 um the patterns of behavior, the laziness, waiting to the last minute because if I wait to the last minute in Detroit. I wrote a paper up. I still got an A on it. Well, in Grand mm-hmm. Rapids, when I went to Grand Rapids, that wasn't the case. I wrote it late and I got like a C or a D or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So it was a much different cultural mm-hmm. reality for me um, from a from a behavior perspective. Um, I didn't really get in trouble in Detroit public schools. The Grand Rapids public schools was a little bit different. Um, and I talk about that in the book where I, I, I had a period of time where my mother and I were evicted uh, two times, three times, mm-hmm. three times. Um, we were living in a car. I went for a period where I didn't really talk to her. Mm. I didn't really talk to my dad. So I was just, Mm. I was angry. I was angry Mm. as hell. Mm -hmm. And that, that manifested in behaviors that were, you know, like really like criminalistic. I had a loan sharker business. I had, I was, uh, you know, I was protection business. I, you know, I was doing all kinds of stuff, man, and stuff I shouldn't have been doing and probably wouldn't have been doing had my parents been a little bit more engaged. Do you think that's what led you to to actually going into education and working? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And tell, talk and to friends. us about that. And my friends, man. You know, I remember my daughter. I have a daughter now. She's twenty six. But I remember one day, and I always tried to teach her lessons about life and who you associate with, who you connected to. Mm-hmm. And so one day, Michigan has this uh, Michigan offender tracker system mm-hmm. um, that you know basically tells you where where convicts are, people who are who have been in jail or released or whatever it is and so i went through and i just started typing in my friends names and we we went through man i swear to you probably 15 15 to 20 straight names of guys i literally went to school with well elementary school middle school or high school and all of them came up as in the michigan offender tracking system wow i sell that to say like all of them all of that kind of stuff their experiences my experiences um i just want black kids to be successful and so and I know my experience was I had so much uh, uh, challenge with my family and, you know, my, my immediate family, my mother and, and our financial situation that mm-hmm. I wanted to at least be some type of stability, st- stabilizing force for the students who came into my buildings or the, the kids that I taught or the kids that I assisted or whatever it was. So, yeah, it did drive me into education. My initial plan was go to law, mm-hmm. but um, I had some elders like, you, young brother, we need you in education. And so that was where I went. So did you start off as a teacher then? Or what, what? Actually, I started off, started off as a teacher assistant. I started okay. off as a teacher assistant um, and then eventually made it to becoming a teacher. Um, okay. I also, my situation was a little bit different because my daughter was born 11 days after I graduated from Morgan. So oh. it was, I didn't have a choice. I had to go get a job. Yeah. <laughs> I to take, care of, take care of my child. So I was actually yeah. working four jobs at the time. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you got into education. So, so how'd you get into to writing this book and get into writing? What, what, was it in education that you realized that you wanted to be an author? 
Um, it was something that I, I think something that I always wanted. It was a story I always wanted to tell. But for me, it was very important to allow my mother to transition. Uh, my mother died in 2017. Mm. It was very important for me because I didn't want her to feel the scrutiny of some of the stories that I told. Okay. My mother tried as best she could. And she wasn't, you know, she wasn't always, she did, as I mentioned with the title of the book, she wasn't always the cleanest with her tongue, <laughs> but, but she was, she was a very loving person, but she was mm. complex. She had a lot of trauma in her life mm. that she hadn't resolved. And so sometimes we got great mom and sometimes we got mom that was really struggling with the, the issues really, as I talk about in the book, a lot of my mother's stuff was around money, like mm. the ability to maintain herself and her family. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was the driver for the book. I, I thought that I also wanted to tell a story, too, that was not a gangbanger story, mm. because oftentimes when, when you look at kind of the genre of, of black male books, mm -hmm. we're talking about guys who were, you know, who were criminals or who were gangbangers or who were this or who went to jail or who went to this. Da, 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 da. And I wanted to tell a perspective of just a normal, everyday black kid who wasn't involved in that stuff, who didn't want to yeah. be involved in that stuff, but who had to, who, who was a, an observer of that stuff, but also a person who had to navigate that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, because I think we oftentimes forget that the kids who shooting up the neighborhoods, there's probably, it's, it may be 10, 20 of them, but it's probably 100, 150 who got to deal with them shooting up the neighborhood. Yeah. And my pro my thing was to try to tell that story and try to tell it as, as effectively as I could. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, this book is 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 a wonderful story. Is is it's your story, but you also talk about being a single father. Oh yeah. Um and I I want you to talk about that uh for a little bit and then I'm also going to ask you a question if you feel like there's any differences between being a single father versus being a single mother. So Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot to say on that. Um, so, so, you know, for me as a single father, man, like <clears throat> I met my daughter's mother when we were in college and, you know, we, we were fine. We had a couple moments, you know, <clears throat> I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, I'm not one who likes to argue and keep a whole bunch of drama going and fighting and arguing. That's just not my, I, I dealt with enough of that with, when I was a kid and, and mm -hmm. living in Detroit. So for me, my adult life was going to look very different than my my childhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got with her mother, you know, we got pregnant with my daughter. Um, we had a whole bunch of ups and downs as, you know, while she was pregnant. And some of the stuff I credit to the fact that her hormones were all over the place. And but then some of it was just was just we just weren't getting along. And she was mm -hmm. accusing me of stuff that I wasn't doing. Like mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I talked about in the book is like <clears throat> my uncles, my uncles were very instrumental in my life. My one particular uncle, Uncle Melvin, would always take me to a park and we would walk through the park. We talk, we we sit down, we think, we study, you know, leaves, we do all kinds of stuff. And so for me, when I need to think, I, mm -hmm. I go to a park or I go mm -hmm. to somewhere that's peaceful and tranquil and try to sort out my thoughts. Well, I disappear. Now, I wasn't the best at communicating. So I would disappear for an hour or two. Mm -hmm. And then she would say, oh, you're cheating. And I'd be like, no, I'm not cheating. Like, yo, I just went to the park just to kind of figure this mm -hmm. thing out because we got a kid mm -hmm. on the way. I ain't never been a father. You ain't never been a mother. I got mm -hmm. responsibilities to take care of, you know, da, da, da. So it was <clears throat> that part, that part of our relationship was was really challenging mm -hmm. um, I, as a father. So fast forward, 
probably 2000 and I'm sorry, 1990. No, it's 2000, maybe 2005, 2004, three something. I gotten a job out in California. Mm. I'd accepted a job to teach at Riverside County uh, public schools mm-hmm. in Riverside, California. And I was scheduled to get there. This was, I got the job like maybe in December. Mm-hmm. And I was scheduled to leave and go to California like sometime around, you know, July or something like that to get settled. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I can't leave my baby. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I need her as much as she needs me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, you, you're a dad. There's a certain unconditional love that your baby provides to you. And there's such mm-hmm. an astonishment of their growth when you see them doing stuff. And, you know, and you're like, wow, I did, I did that too. You know, like yeah. my, me and my daughter has such a, a fantastic relationship. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to leave that behind. And her mother was yeah. like, well, you can have her on Christmas and, you know, holidays and summer. And I'm like, but I'm mm-hmm. not a summer dad. I'm a dad. Like, right. so exactly. for me, it was very important that mm-hmm. I, so anyway, long story short, we got time to go. And I called Riverside. I was like, I'm not coming. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, you said, I was like, yeah, but I can't leave my kid. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave my kid. Fast forward probably five years, five to seven years later, her mother drops dead. Mm. And so if, if, so, you know, you think about decisions and if I had left and gone to California, there's no telling where my daughter would have been. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously losing a parent is tough, but me and her mother shared custody. So she was with me two weeks. She's with her mother for two weeks. So we had a thing, we had a routine. So yeah. When her mother passed away, it was just coming into dad's routine every day or every, you know, every week versus every two weeks. So it was a right. much easier transition for my daughter. Um, but yeah, so to your other question about, you know, I remember being at an event and um, it was like a single parent event, but mostly single mothers were there. I was only, I think the only man there. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said something about, you know, just raising a girl. Like mm-hmm. my daughter, mother's, my daughter's mother died. My daughter was 13. And so mm-hmm. she was about to start high school. There was puberty. There was all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And in true funny story, my daughter said, Daddy, uh, she used to swim. She said, Daddy, I, I need some tampons. And I said, uh, okay. So I went to the store and got them. And I, yeah, I gave them to her. I was like, here you go, pumpkin. And she was like, okay, Daddy, what do I do? I was like, I don't know what you do. <laughs> <laughs> call your grandma. Call your auntie. Call, call somebody. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so and so we, we both got just sat there like, what do we do? I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, well, I know, Dad, but they don't, I don't really understand. I was like, well, then take it to your coach tomorrow and ask them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, that so, is funny. I bring up these stories because there's things that that she was dealing with as a young woman yeah. that I had no idea how to yeah. deal. So I, fast forward, going back to the story about being at the single parents event. So I made this comment, and uh, you know, I wasn't saying it like "woe is me." It's just like it's just a different experience to mm-hmm. raise a girl. Like if it's a boy, I know what the hell to do with it. But I'm, I'm a man, but mm-hmm. even I know what to do with a girl. And this woman, I never forget. The sister looked at me and said. You act like you want you want some uh you want some 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 uh some some props because you raising one child you know by yourself. I got three of them. And I was like, well, that was your choice. I chose to have one. You chose to have three. <laughs> like, that ain't my problem that you got three kids. But it was just her her attitude, man. Yeah. Was, was just foul. And I talk about it even in the book. Like yeah. I had a, a ton of women who wanted me to. They they wanted their their um they wanted to be equal equal with or higher than my daughter. And I created my daughter. I didn't create you. Mm-hmm. I owe my daughter a certain lifestyle and a certain um, commitment. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that I don't owe like a girlfriend a commitment or anything like that. But this, 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 
I'm going to be the dominant female. And why you got to go for her? I remember one of them saying, um, my daughter was a part of um, the student ambassadors program. Um, she's part of people to people. So she would go overseas in the mm-hmm. summertime. Mm-hmm. So one young lady I was dating at the time, um, you know, we spent a lot of time together. She had a daughter as well. And she was like, well, I hope this ain't going to change when, when your daughter comes home. I was like, mm, it's, it's going to change because I got responsibilities. And if you can't mm-hmm. understand that, then we, we don't need to be together. Like, yeah. I, I, nothing's you will never get me to turn my back on my child. No. Yeah. And yeah. that was one of the biggest things that was really surprising to me how um, how many women wanted me kind of just to put my daughter kind of on the back burner and focus on them and i just i refuse to do that so yeah yeah and i i definitely understand that because i mean i think you know you 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 only get one time to be a dad yeah. you know you only yeah. get one time to be a dad and i feel like even with my, my little girl you know i feel like right now that is one of the reasons why i, I you know i'm going to be moving to charlotte to kind of yeah. be closer to her you know because this year was hard for me you know mm-hmm. being you know, away from her for, mm-hmm. you know, and I get to see her over the summer and everything, mm-hmm. but that's, mm-hmm. it's nothing like being there every day yep. for, you yep. know? Yep. So I can definitely commend you for that. So I also want to follow up knowing that you are going to, I believe you have a second version of this book coming out. And what's that about? Yeah. It'll, it, it's going to be more about us as black men, man. Okay. Um, I, 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 I'm, I am deeply concerned about, um, what our norms are and what our expectations are of each other. Um, and when you look at, you know, statistical data, um, I use FBI crime report and things like that. There's mm-hmm. so many things that prevent us from, 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 from reaching a higher level in the United States and economically, educationally, professionally, yeah. et cetera. And yeah. this book's probably going to, well, this book will focus on that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's from a, from a parenting standpoint. So I run a mentoring program out of a school and I, I can tell you right now, I've had, we had probably 12 boys so far. And I'd say probably 70% of those boys say they hate their fathers, like hate them, Mm. like hate them. Like I want to murder them. Like Mm. literally have said, I want to shoot my dad. And there's something, there's something, there's something wrong with how we're a preparing our boys, Mm -hmm. B how we are, how we are, the expectations that we have for ourselves and each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And then C how we interact with each other and call it love. Yeah. Um, an example, you know, one of the boys or several of the boys use the B word to describe women, but <laughs> they say they love them. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, love language is much different than B or whole or whatever it is. And so there, I, my belief is there's a, there's a dark, deeper conversation that we have to have about ourselves and about our communities, because at the end of the day, every other group is moving forward yeah. and we seem to be stagnant at this, this, this level, not that it's a bad thing. I mean, we're, we're 50 years outside of Jim Crow. So I'm respectful of that. But mm-hmm. we, when I look at the news, you know, we the ones who get shot on the streets, 23 yeah. black men a day get killed. Yeah. And I know before we came on here, you was telling me that you have a, I think you kind of already alluded to, you have a mentoring company and a, a consulting business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the education consulting business, um, mentor, the mentoring part is a part of that. You know, we do dropout prevention. We do discipline. Um, this book is probably actually my third probably authoring thing. I actually authored the uh, Maryland Code of uh, School Discipline. So basically, mm-hmm. I, I wrote the regulations for schools in the state of Maryland on how they're supposed to respond to discipline. I led mm-hmm. a group, a task force of about 47 different stakeholders. Um, I wrote a 
probably five or six of the alternative education regulations. So I'm, I'm kind of, I don't typically talk about that part, but that's a part of this business is helping yeah. people get schools where they need to be in, in, in effective and, and helpful ways. One of the things that as an educator that I experienced is that so many times you bring in these companies and they give you really tools that you really can't use. Yeah. And they don't really give you anything that's a really a, a, that's really tangible that you can take and say, OK, as soon as I leave this, this training, I'm going to use this like later on. Yeah. They don't give you that. They give you things where you got to keep coming back, keep coming back. So one of the things that we try to do at, at my uh, Comprehensive Discipline Solutions is provide people with immediate um, feedback and immediate uh, tools that will help them become more successful and help their kids feel more engaged and more part of school. Man, man, you are doing you are doing a lot, man. And I appreciate you just taking out your time to come on this podcast oh, yeah, bro. and share yeah. your story, man. Where can people follow you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing in the community? Oh, man. So I ain't really even part of the Twitter universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say probably uh, Facebook. I did get a Twitter account. So it's, uh, it's Hartwell, H-A-R-T, um, H-A-R-T-W-E-L-L, 313, which is my Twitter um, handle. Um, mm-hmm. For the, the website for the book is Hartwell. Um, time X, the number three.com where you can order the book and you can kind of read about me and, and read about some of the comments about the book. Um, you can also order it off of Amazon as well. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my primary means. I gotta, I gotta step my social media game up. I, I realize that, but, uh, yeah, that that's primarily where you can catch me and you can catch me on Facebook too. Robert Murphy. That's it. Okay. Awesome, man. And again, blackmail archives where we highlight positive stories about black men which you are one of thank you mr murphy for coming on taking your morning to come on and talk to us about your book and your projects that you're working on thank you so much for doing this absolutely anytime awesome i owe you for stealing your your questions (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i'm gonna write some more questions thank you sir